So I brought with me something very special to me this morning. This is actually my birth certificate. So this goes back quite a ways. This piece of paper has been around for quite some time, but it shows me right there. Kent County, Michigan, Grand Rapids, Butterworth Hospital back then. Sounds so much better than Spectrum, doesn't it? Especially it sounds more warm and cuddly for a baby, at least. I was born at Butterworth. And then I also brought this with me this morning. This is another important paper to me because this is my birth certificate. Uh, Kent County, Michigan, I was born in Grand Rapids, and I actually have two birth certificates, and there is a reason for that. It's not because I'm a clone, it's not because I'm a twin, and I'm not going to surprise you some point later on with having my uh, other half show up. In fact, I wasn't born in halves either. It wasn't like I was born in separate pieces. I arrived all at once, all at the same time on July 13th, 19th. <coughs> Now, most of you probably don't have two birth certificates. How many of you have two birth certificates? Okay, a few, but we're kind of special, aren't we? It kind of puts us in our own class of people there. But the reason I have two birth certificates is because I was actually going on a mission trip when I was in high school, and we had misplaced my birth certificate. At that point, we were living in South Bend, so I had to hop in the car, drive two hours up to Grand Rapids, run into the courthouse, grab a second copy of my birth certificate, and run back home on my four-hour trip for my 13-second my uh, you know, picking up the birth certificate there. But this marks the beginning of my story, July 13th, 19... <clears throat> yes. That's when my story began, but not really, because actually my story began like nine months, actually in my case it was nine and a half months previous to that, when I was conceived, and uh, I, I guess I arrived like two weeks late, and I guess that was a, course, uh, a, a problem for my mom, it was like the hottest summer ever, and I was, you know, she was pregnant, and in fact, there's the story told that my, my brother, who was five at the time, Asked my dad, said, could you make sure that mom doesn't have any more babies because she's way too grumpy? And uh, which, if you knew my mom, my mom was never grumpy. So uh, anyhow, my story started at conception. And wouldn't it be cool if you could get a birth certificate for that, actually? That's when my life began. Birth was just my first public appearance. And I've been showing up every day since then without fail. I haven't missed a day. But that wasn't really the beginning of my story either. Because my story started sometime long before that in the mind of God. The scriptures tell me that he thought me up long before my parents even were, and certainly before my parents even thought of me. But that's not just me. That's you and that's all of us. But it's your story too. You were conceived in the heart and the mind of God long before you were conceived in your mother's womb. In fact, Psalm 139 doesn't say that just what you were conceived. It says that you were actually crafted. That you were made into a masterpiece. And it's this idea that God designed us. But each one of us differently. And there must have been some reason for that. I'm sure part of the reason was to demonstrate his creativity. And it's pretty fascinating to think about, isn't it? To think that on this planet right now, there's six, seven billion people. And if you got us all together in the same place, 
None of us would look exactly like the next person. None of us would think exactly like the next person. None of us would have the same personality of the next person. We would all be different. And it says something incredible about our God that we can look at all the people that we share this planet with and go, every one of us is different. Wow, what a God that he is. And so I'm sure that the fact that God designed us reflects his creativity. But it also reflects what I believe is his desire for us to have a relationship with him. Did you think about that? God has a relationship with each one of us individually, but it's not like anybody else's relationship because there is nobody else exactly like you. So that relationship that you have with God, it, it's, it's not copied, it's not replicated, reproduced anywhere. It's just you and God. You're the only two that have that relationship. So you, before the creator of the world, have this unique relationship. Just you. And that's pretty crazy to think about. But there's something else too about the fact that God created us, and it's this idea It's that we all have purpose. It's that we matter. And if we don't matter to anybody else, we actually matter to God. That's pretty awesome to think about too. But we matter to God because he created us. We matter to God in the fact that we have purpose as well. Rick Warren was the one who made this so popular when he put out the book, The Purpose Driven Life. And probably most of you have read uh, read that book, and it's kind of everywhere. It's like, you know, on most people's shelves, there's the Bible, and then there's the purpose-driven life. In fact, just this past week, I was at Clarkston Library, and they're having a big book sale. So I went down there to check out the book sale, and you wouldn't believe it. But sure enough, the purpose-driven life was on the shelf there if you wanted to pick it up at the book, uh, the book sale. But the, he asked the question there, and he tried to answer that question, you know, what is your purpose? Because each of us have a purpose. My question this morning is, Simply, what's yours? What is yours? And I want to explore that question this morning by looking at a story by, the, uh, by a guy by the name of John. And everybody today knows him as John the Baptist. That's not what he's called when we dive into a story. In fact, he doesn't even have a name when we dive into a story. But that's what we want to explore this morning, and that we're going to explore for the next several weeks. We want to look at this idea of John, John the Baptist. And we see him really by name in the early pages of the Gospels. In fact, in all four Gospels, really before we get to Jesus, we start with John. But in all four Gospels, we have the story of John, which to me suggests his importance, if nothing else, to say, you know what? If we're going to talk about the story of Jesus, we really have to set it up by the story of John. And so his person and his story is super, super important to us. But we don't want to start in the Gospels. We want to back up into the book of Isaiah. So I want to invite you to turn with me today to Isaiah chapter 40. And he's not mentioned here by name, but his story is mentioned. And the crazy thing about this is it's 700 years before John will actually make his appearance. So we'll go back and look at that today. Next week, we're actually going to talk about the actual birth of John the Baptist, which just matches up so perfectly with Mother's Day, doesn't it? And uh, just 
kind of how it worked out. And then we'll keep talking about some aspect of John the Baptist's life as we talk about his experience, what we can learn from him. But I want to look at Isaiah chapter 40. And I just mentioned the fact that John the Baptist's story is mentioned in each of the four Gospels. Actually, this passage that we're going to look at is actually quoted in each of the four Gospels. And so this is a hugely important passage right here. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 5. It's the book of Isaiah, who is a prophet to Judah in Israel. Some people consider him to be the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. He prophesied in Israel and Judah for about 60 years. And then his prophecies were recorded into this book here of Isaiah, 66 chapters. The first 39 chapters represent the first half of the book. The the second 27 chapters represent the, the second half of the book. But in the first 39 chapters, Isaiah talks about God's judgment. God's judgment would be uh, a neighboring country would come in and take them over and conquer them and carry them away into, into captivity because of their idolatry, because of the fact that they weren't following God. And God would use that event in their history uh, to discipline them. And the first 39 chapters talk about that happening. And then you get to chapter 40, and there's a major transition that takes place. Because God says, but when I'm done disciplining you, I'm going to bring hope into your story. You're going to come out of captivity. In fact, I'm going to bring something into your story that's so great. It's so incredible. It's going to make all of that seem like nothing. And that's what we're reading about here when we get to Isaiah chapter 40. It's the transition piece from judgment to blessing. And this is what Isaiah says, speaking for God. Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem. Cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And what Isaiah is saying here, quoting God, is your judgment, it's been paid. The capture and captivity, it will end. God will bless you again. And then he talks about the next big event, and here it is. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken." But if you go back to verse number three, it says, the voice of one crying into the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. As we look at the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of them identify that voice as being John the Baptist. And John the Baptist's coming was prophesied 700 years before it happens. But when he arrives, it's a major turning point in the story of scripture. John the Baptist was the last of the Old Testament prophets, but he was also the first of the New Testament prophets. And he introduces a new era, really the coming of the kingdom, the fact that Jesus would arrive. But what I want to do today is I want to pull apart just that first verse there and talk a little bit about it and see what it tells us about this character by the name of John the Baptist, who we are identifying as our wilderness guide. The first thing is this. It says he was a voice. He was a voice. 
He didn't speak for himself, but for God. That was his main purpose. He was a messenger. But think about this. He was described not as a man, but he was described as a voice. Because it was what he had to say that was so important. It wasn't important, actually, who he was. We use the phrase sometimes when we talk about kids, you know, kids are to be seen and not heard. John the Baptist was to be heard and not seen. And that was really the idea behind his coming, that he would be a voice who speaks for God. Now, I don't know about you, one of the shows that, that I haven't watched this in a while, but, but a few years back that I got a kick out of watching is this show, The Voice. Uh, the, the music audition one where they have the judges sitting backwards so they can't actually see the person who's singing. I didn't watch. That was my favorite part. You know, when they, people would sing and whether or not one of the judges would turn around for them. But they were just listening to that voice to see if they had potential. Now, I know they went on into the competition and, you know, competed against each other. I didn't watch that. I just liked to see if the, the judges would turn around. But that's a little bit of the idea that you have here of John the Baptist. He arrives on stage, and it doesn't matter if the judges turn around, because all you need from him is his voice and what he has to say. He was a prophet who spoke from God. He actually said some hard things. In fact, we know that Jesus said hard things to the Pharisees. It wasn't Jesus who got that started. I mean, John the Baptist was the first one to call them vipers and snakes. And so he said some hard things. At the same time, people were drawn to John the Baptist because not everything that he said was so hard. And we'll get that in just a minute. And John the Baptist, by most people, was actually seen as being a prophet. And so this was a big deal. It had been centuries since a prophet had shown up. And John the Baptist shows up as a voice who was crying is what it says next. He wasn't crying tears, per se. It talks about he was crying out to them. He was pleading with them. He was begging with them. He was urging the people that he talked to. And it was this passionate urging that showed his heart for them. And the message that he brought was a message of repentance and a message of preparation. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But when John the Baptist came and spoke to the people, it was like, please listen to me. I have got something so important for you. I don't want you to miss it. And so he, like, emotionally was so committed to what he had to say that it, it might have come out in tears, but it was this begging, like, please, 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 people, listen to what I have to say. And then it says he was of the wilderness. So he was a voice, he was a voice that was crying, but he was a voice that was crying in the wilderness. And actually this wilderness is really key to the story of John the Baptist. Because he didn't just come out of the wilderness, his ministry took place basically in the wilderness. And instead of being like most people in the day that would have gone to the people, even Jesus came to the people. John the Baptist story, the people came to him because he was this guy out in the wilderness. And in all four Gospels, again, this idea of John the Baptist being from the wilderness is repeated. But why was that such a big deal? Let me throw some ideas at you. Just maybe one of these or all of these. First of all, it was because it was supposed to be a sign. Just because we were reading here in Isaiah that this voice would become from the wilderness. And people who, if they were watching 
for this person who has prophesied. If, when they found somebody in the wilderness, it would be the, the arrow saying, this is the guy. And just like Jesus, you know, the sign was that he would be born of a virgin. The sign for John the Baptist is that he would come out of the wilderness. And so this was an actual sign to the Jews that they were supposed to be watching for. Secondly, the wilderness actually represented the climate spiritually of Israel and Judah. It was very dry spiritually, very dead uh, not a lot going on, a lot of lip service, not a lot going on with their hearts. And the wilderness was a great representation of what Israel was like in the time of Isaiah, but also in the time of Christ. There was a lot of religion going on, but there wasn't a lot of reality to that religion. And so John's message could lead them out of that wilderness. It could have been that John was in the wilderness just for a, a simply pragmatic reason. That was that he would have, uh, or he would be able to kind of shut out the rest of the world and just focus on what his ministry was going to be about. But I think that one of the reasons that John was in the wilderness is because that's where God was going to do some great work in him. And Chris already referenced that this morning. But the wilderness is one of God's tools that for most of us, we don't want any part of it. But God says, no, let's come to the wilderness because I've got something for you there. And probably if most of us are honest, we can find times or maybe we're in that time right now where we are in a wilderness where it seems dry, where it seems lonely, where it seems hopeless, where it seems dangerous, where it seems scary. And we're in that wilderness, but the wilderness is meant to be a place of refinement. Chris mentioned some of the people in the wilderness. How about Moses? He spent a long time in the wilderness, 40 years. And then God shows up and says, okay, now Moses, I think you're ready. But that wilderness time was designed to prepare him. Paul, after his conversion, it tells us that he went into Arabia Saudi Arabia, we know that today, has spent three years in the desert before he came back and before he started that ministry. Chris mentioned the fact that Jesus spent time in the desert there too. You could add David to that list. But the desert is this strange place where God teaches and prepares us. And it's a strange place, actually, where the supernatural takes place. And Chris referenced that it's where God shows up in unusual ways in people's story. And most of us, we would say, please don't take me to the desert. I don't want to go there. At the same time, it's in the desert where God says, like, hey, now you can hear me. Hey, now you're paying attention to me. Hey, now I've got something special for you. And so we can relate to the desert because it's, that's where we learn who God is and we learn what God does. And it's where he teaches us who we are. And even what we're supposed to do. And when we talk about that supposed to do, we're starting to talk about our purpose. And so John was in the desert because there was something that he was supposed to do. And it tells us in that verse, he was supposed to prepare the way. He was supposed to prepare the way for Jesus coming. And this talks of his purpose. He was the advanced man for Jesus. 
Jesus is coming. He was the one out in front, everybody announcing and saying, hey, hey, pay attention. There's somebody coming after me. You need to pay attention to him because he actually is the Messiah. It talks about he needed to make the way straight. The idea was to remove obstacles. And he came preaching this message of repentance. And what was that? He was preaching that people needed to be sorry for their sins. He was preaching that people needed to repent, turn from their sins, change their behavior. But with his message came a message of hope. And a lot of times we think about the message of repentance as being a message of condemnation. Like, you stop doing that. That's terrible. That's wrong. You're asking for it. Judgment, condemnation. And that's what repentance is. But that's not what we see with John the Baptist. The message of repentance is the fact that I have sinned. I need to turn from that sin. And when I turn to that sin, I see that there's somebody else in the story here. And there's hope that comes and so these people were coming to John, and repentance was not where they were beat down like, okay, I have to do this. They were coming to John and saying, well, wait, there's a better way to live? And that's what repentance is about. I'm going to get rid of all this other stuff because there's something better here waiting for me. And that person was Jesus Christ. Now, you know what's strange to me about these verse, this verse here in this passage? What was John the most... What was he most popular for and most known for? Baptizing, right? And it doesn't show up here. And we're going to talk about the whole idea of baptism here as we go on through this series. But I think that's a big point for us to realize is that baptism is just an action that follows a heart decision. And the heart decision was repentance to turn from your sin and to, and to turn to what's right because that's what the kingdom of heaven is about. And so the prophecy becomes a reality. John comes straight out of the wilderness and the story goes just as it was prophesied 700 years before. But that's his story. What about your story? And what about my story. Where do they intersect? Well, let me just give you a few ideas here. First of all, God thought of you long before you were born. Since he is eternal, I would have no problem whatsoever saying that God thought of you more than 700 years ago. And if you want to put that on a timeline, we're going back to the time of Columbus there. But you probably predated that. In fact, you, we may be able to say we can go all the way back into eternity where the Bible tells us that God knew you. He knew all about you. He planned you. He created you for this moment and for a specific reason. But think about that. The eternal God over the entire universe from ages past knew exactly who you are. Secondly, John's story is an invitation to us to live our story, to live out our purpose. Living out your purpose is not some high-pressure, arm-twisting thing that God demands that you do. It's what God invites you to do. He tries to line you up with who he created you to be so that you can live in significance and so that you can live in fulfillment and so that your life can actually be better. But it's probably going to involve some wilderness moments. 
And so my hope is that we go through this series, John can be our guide, and that we can take hope out of the wilderness because we know that it's the territory of the supernatural. So we talk about purpose this morning. I just want to suggest this. Maybe your purpose is to be a wilderness person, just like John was. So here's four ideas as we conclude here this morning. First of all, every man has a God-given purpose that goes beyond himself. Your purpose is about more than just you. Your purpose is about God who gave you that purpose. And your purpose is about what God the role that God wants you to play on this earth, whatever that may happen to be. And it may be some very visible role that you play, and it may be something that's almost invisible. It doesn't really matter. It's not that God weighs one more important than the other. The important thing is that you know what your purpose is and that you fulfill it. And you may have multiple purposes in a sense, and that you have multiple roles. For, for me, whether I'm a pastor, or whether I'm a husband, or whether I'm a father, or whether I'm a neighbor, but that purpose is something that God gives me, but it goes beyond me. It's not something for me to enjoy. Generally, our purpose, we all know this, is to point people to Christ, to lift up Christ. That's what John's purpose was. We share that purpose. But then specifically, it's to take your gifts and abilities, your experiences, your passions, your heart, and to use them in a way that makes a difference. So purpose speaks then to your potential. That purpose, I think, reveals potential. And we throw that out there sometimes, like, you know, you've got a lot of potential. What does that mean? That means that God's created you with this purpose that you need to live into. And as you look at your potential and say, boy, I haven't realized my potential there, that's an impetus for us to pursue that purpose in our lives. So purposes reveal potential. Purposes are individual. You have yours. It's yours and nobody else's. See, there's no such thing as a typical person. It's impossible. Because that would mean that we have more than one that are alike. But you are unique. We see life, we live life differently. And then our purpose, we need to remind ourselves too that there's no need for pride in this. Because it's something that God's given to us. We're just developing it. And so it's not so I can make myself great. It's so that I can use my life in such a way that lifts up Christ, love God, and, and makes the lives of people around me better love people. Secondly, the pursuit of our purpose is really what our calling is in life. And we all pursue something. We talked about this some, a couple weeks ago on Easter. How we sometimes, a lot of us, we pursue ourselves, but we're looking for self-fulfillment or we're looking for achievement or we're looking for prosperity or we're looking for reputation or we're, we're looking for pleasure. We're looking for knowledge. We're looking for transcendence. We're looking for all of these things and we're pursuing all those things. But when we get there, we discover that it's not quite enough and we start looking for the next thing. And then we look for the next thing and then we've looked for the next thing and the next thing because those things leave us empty but when we go back to the spiritual and when we're reminded of the fact that God made us and that he's equipped us, that brings meaning and brings purpose into our lives. And that's what we should be pursuing. Thirdly, though, God will prepare you in the pursuit of your purpose. And this is the, where the wilderness comes into play. 
And I'm not saying that every time God prepares us, he uses the wilderness. I am saying this, that every time you face a wilderness, God wants to use it to prepare you. He's never going to waste that experience in your life. So I don't know where you are, what your wilderness is right now. Most of us, if we're out hiking, we would describe the wilderness as barren or rugged or harsh or demanding or exhausting or scary. And maybe that's how it defines your story right now, what's going on in your life. It's a wilderness. But if you're a hiker, do you also realize that the wilderness is not all of those, just all of those things. It's also about excitement and exhilaration and challenge and wonder and exploration and discovery. See, the wilderness is defined not so much by its elements as it is by our perspective. And the wilderness could be this horrible place that I'm stuck in, or it can be this incredible place that I'm exploring. And I think that's what God wants for us. You know, there are a lot of people in today's world who head for the wilderness on purpose. Back a year and a half ago or so, Kelly and I went out to uh, Glacier National Park and we flew in on our big old jet into Kalispell, Montana. How many of you have done that? Kalispell, Montana. It's this big airport. You know why it's an airport? It's for the national park. That's it. And they're flying all these, and we're riding on there and we get off the plane and there's nothing to see there except the park and the wilderness. I'm carrying my little suitcase. Everybody else is getting off the plane in their huge backpacks, you know, with their rolls and whatever like that, because they can't wait to get out into the wilderness. I wonder if that's not who John the Baptist was. He never left the wilderness because I don't think he saw any reason to leave the wilderness. Because in the wilderness, that's where the adventure was. In the wilderness, that's where the excitement was. In the wilderness, that's where God was. And sometimes we say, well, I have to endure my wilderness because of what I'm going through. Let me just give you a different perspective on it. And to say, how about if we embrace the wilderness where we look at maybe, oh, this is hard. Or we look at the challenge or we look at the unfamiliarity or we, we look at the discomfort and say, you know what, that's what I'm going to choose. That's what I'm going to pursue. So what if it's uncivilized or inhospitable or, or uninhabited? I see it as inviting because there's no crowds here. There's no average people here. There's just people looking for a little bit more in their faith. So sometimes the wilderness chooses you, but sometimes you choose the wilderness. And the wilderness is where John felt at home, where he experienced God, where he grew in his faith, where he lived out his purpose. So how is the wilderness preparing you? And then the last thing, the pursuit of our purpose requires passion. And I love this about John. John was not a halfway guy. You see anything about his story, we're going to look at this in the next several weeks. John was not one to play it safe. John was not one to take it easy. John was one to get out there and go after it. So there's a challenge to us when it comes to the wilderness to realize that the wilderness is God's place for us to develop our potential so that we can live out our purpose. So what do we learn from our wilderness guide? First of all, we all have a purpose. And you have. Since the day you were born, since the day you were conceived, actually, since the time that the world began, you've had a purpose. 
It's a purpose to be pursued. It's a purpose that's going to take you through a wilderness. And fine, let it take you there or choose to go there. But it's a purpose that demands that we live with passion. And so as we start this morning, this is my big invitation to all of us is to use the life of John the Baptist, to use this series as we go on, to shake us up a little bit, to get us out of our routines, to get us out of our comfort, to get us out of the ease that we surround ourselves with in our faith, and to get out there and to explore or or to experience the uncertain or, or, or to try something we haven't tried before or to live out our purpose at a level that we've never lived it before to stop being shy, to stop being intimidated or quiet or passive, but instead to live with enthusiasm, to dive in and to embrace the uncomfortable. Or simply put, to be a wilderness man or a wilderness woman. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for John, for the plan that you had for him. Probably most of us wouldn't look at him and think, oh, that's how I'd like to live. It's a little eccentric, had some strange habits. And yet he gives us a great example of what it means to live into our purpose. He gives us a great example of what it leads to use the willingness to develop us. So God, I want to pray for these people as they sit here this morning. For the person who's going through the wilderness, maybe not of his choice. I'm praying that they would experience you in unique ways, in the silence, in the aloneness, in the waiting. I pray that you would come to them and just grow that relationship that you have with them. God, I pray for others who maybe are not in that type of wilderness, but maybe need to choose a wilderness, choose something a little bit hard, choose something a little bit more uncomfortable, choose to to speak up for right or choose to, to speak out for the gospel. I pray that you would challenge that person. I pray that you'd light a fire in them, that you'd just give them desire for something more. And God, I pray for the person who doesn't have a relationship with you that came through Jesus Christ that John was talking about. I pray that you would just convince them of their need to know you. Through Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross, through his resurrection, the fact that he can forgive sins and give new life. If that's the case for you this morning, right where you sit, you can make that decision to trust and follow Christ. Simple conversation, prayer that you have to you and God where you confess your sins, ask him to come into your life and to lead you. But God, we look to you as our guide, not really John the Baptist. But we pray that you would inspire us to live lives, even in this wilderness that we find ourselves in, that make a difference. And we ask this all in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Thanks so much for coming. So glad to see you all. And uh, we're going to be back with John the Baptist next week, as I mentioned there. Mother's Day, going to be celebrating, looking at his birth. The story shows up in Luke chapter 1, if you want to look ahead. Um, If you can help out with grace and stuff, uh, Kim will be at the, the back counter there. You can check with her. Otherwise, have a great week. God bless you. You're dismissed.